Well, hello there. Welcome on to the RT Soccer Podcast. James O'Toole is back. Missed out on last week's action, failing a late fitness test. You all good, James? Yeah, all good. Technical issues. Technical issues, Adrian. That's Te- what happens when you try and do one at the side of a JA pitch. <laughs> oh, okay. Th- those kind of technical issues. Anyway, you're here. Lots to discuss on this week's edition of the RT Soccer Podcast. Joined by Graham Gartland to discuss all the hot topics. We're going to chat Champions League. Andy Myler. The UCD boss will join us. UCD up to second place in the first division. Um, we're going to uh, chat Champions League very shortly and then discuss some of the stories that we got a lot of talk around the standard of refereeing and officialdom at the moment. We touched on it last week in light of Tim Clancy's outburst for which he was subsequently reprimanded. Uh, Mark Bircham, the Waterford manager, had plenty to say after the loss to Shamrock Rovers. Not the first time this season that he's criticised the officials. So we'll come on to that. But first of all, Europe Champions League, the live match on RT2 television this week on Tuesday. Young boys at Burn against Manchester United. Do note the early kickoff time, 5.45. The build-up starts at 5 o'clock. And then later on the same channel, Champions League highlights at 10.15, including Chelsea against Zenit St. Petersburg. Gavin Hamilton is a football journalist and has been on the podcast before. He joins us. Uh, Gavin, good to have you with us. We will start with the United game. Obviously, massive interest. There always is, of course, massive interest around Manchester United, but particularly right now after the signing of Cristiano Ronaldo, his return to Old Trafford. And he got off to a terrific start at the weekend. Two goals, a comfortable win over Newcastle. So he's he started life well at United. Let's let's just put it like that, shall we? Yeah, he he slotted slotted right back in, and um, you know he, he's. I mean, it, it feels like he, he hasn't never been away, but I mean, yeah, when he left for Real Madrid, he was a very different player, and now he's this, you know, this incredible centre forward um, with with all these uh, amazing records behind him, and um, it, it's a it's a it's a fantastic story, and I don't think United could have scripted it any better. They did they did a fantastic deal. The numbers, yeah. For the transfer fee, were were a, a, an incredible deal, um, but I don't think anyone expects it to have this impact. And remember, he also had this impact off the pitch. There's been reports of him giving a speech to the players in the hotel the night before the game, and and it's clearly going to be a major factor for United this season. And already, there's reports that Paul Pogba is 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 leaning towards a renewal, an extension of his contract. Um, because of Ronaldo's arrival at Old Trafford. And what do you think he can bring to Manchester United? You know, obviously, he's one of the world's greatest players, but in terms of the Champions League this season, what can he do for United, do you think, in Europe that's maybe been missing in recent seasons? In terms of Europe, I, th- I think um, he brings that, 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 that know-how in terms of goal scoring. Um, but he's, as I said, he's a very different player to the player that left Old Trafford um, you know, more than a decade ago. He scores. Uh, he's the penalty box operator now, uh, and, uh, and we've seen it for Portugal. How he he's scored so many more goals in the last few years compared to his early years, and um, because he's adapted the way he plays. And I, I think what'll be really interesting for Solskjaer is how he manages the minutes, because he can't play every minute every game. Does he? Um, does he come off the bench? It'd be an interesting test of, of Solskjaer's. Um, plans for Ronaldo, whether he, he starts against your boys. Graham, are you a Ronaldo fan? Uh, yeah, I would be actually. Yeah, I think for for anybody looking in at football, and you can see the the longevity he's had in his career and the numbers, and it, it actually, when you're talking to younger players about 
putting in your maximum effort and maybe concentrating on football and and making sure you look after your diet, making sure you look after everything. He's a great example for kids to go, yeah, of course he was talented and he was he was so talented as a young player, but he's enhanced that talent through pure, pure dedication and and sort of application to his job and, and football's his priority. And, and that's where he's a great example for kids to say to them, look, not only is he talented, but look at look at what else he puts into it. Like he, he he's hard work is his talent and it's his attitude. So, yeah, and I do I agree. I think he's changed his game so much from being a, a winger that would get down the line and get crosses and try to score maybe spectacular goals to just being just being about the numbers and being in between the the goals when the in between the two sticks when the ball's getting put in the box and he manages to just score goals and yeah. So I'd be a begrudging fan as they say. So um, but. You can't help but admire him, and like I said, for everything he's done. Gavin, the group that United are in, apart from young boys, Villarreal and Atalanta, on paper it should be manageable. By no means easy, but is there enough about Manchester United? It's still very early in the season, of course, but is there enough about United to to suggest that they could have a, a real impact on the Champions League this time around? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I think if you, I mean, everyone's talking about... Ronaldo is the, the big signing of the summer, but actually a more significant signing for them could, 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 probably will be Rafael Varane as a guy who, you know, is a proven winner in, in the Champions League. And I think he'll bring that now to the, to the back line and, and be really valuable. And I think, that, you know, they can be genuine contenders. I think whether they can compete on two fronts in the Champions League and the Premier League is, is another matter. But they've got the players there. They've got the experience. And the group stages is about managing the, the process of those six games. It's not about winning every single game. It's about you know finishing in that top two and reaching the group stages. So looking at that draw, you, know, you would expect them to get through against young boys. And, and three points, I think, would be valuable um, because Atalanta are a dangerous team. Um, but I think they, they're good enough about them, United, to, to, to come through this group for, with some distance. And I think it'll be you know, it will be interesting to see how. Ronaldo's game is managed. You know how many, how many games he starts, and, and mm. whether he's as an impact sub, but if, if he's needed to turn games around. Yeah, notoriously difficult, of course, Gavin, to retain the European Cup. Chelsea, the holders, they look very well equipped to perhaps defend the trophy. We shall say that. I'm sure is the aim, but is the league perhaps this time around a bigger priority for Tuchel and for Chelsea than perhaps the Champions League, or is it all about going for everything? I think he's. I mean, I think what's interesting with Tuchel is that he's a man with a plan. You know, he's he's, he's got a clear idea of what he wants to do. Um, for, for years, Chelsea have had this this big setup of young players. You know, they've they've scouted players from all across southeast England. They've had the best, the you know, the pick of the players from around southeast England because they've they've thrown money at them. But this this summer, you know, he's made a clear decision to send a lot of those players away from the club. You know, Conor Gallagher to Palace and and, and others going elsewhere. And he's he's got his 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 first team squad. He's got his starting eleven. He's almost got a, a match day sixteen that he knows he's going to work with. Um, and he's clearly got a plan. And and I think Lukaku gives them that physicality in the Premier League um, and and a, a whole new dimension in attack. But there's no reason why they can't compete in the Champions League as well. Because in in the I mean looking back to last season, you know Tuchel came in and they won those games. That they had to win in the knockout stages, um, and, and and they're capable of doing that again. I, I really think Tuchel is a, 
is a coach to be admired and he has a, a clear strategy. And, and maybe Chelsea have just got to give him the time to do that now because in the past they've, you know, they've chopped and changed a bit criticised them for, you know, and, and but actually said that it's maybe that change of coach that's won the tournament. Um, but I think actually that um, you know, they, they've won those tournaments in spite of Abramovich changing coaches all the time. If Tuchel the time, um, he's a man with a plan and I think um, they're, they're strong contenders in, in, on both fronts this season. They start, as mentioned, against Zenit St. Petersburg at home at Stamford Bridge on Tuesday evening. Juventus and Malmo also in that group. Gavin, just a word on Juventus. One point in Serie A from three games. They're down in 16th position. Obviously, Ronaldo's departed, but what's going on there? Well, um, yeah, a change of um, a change of the guard there and a lot of lot happening behind the scenes. I mean, people criticised Juventus last year for, for, for putting all their resources into Ronaldo and saying that was unbalancing the team. Uh, but actually, he, you know, he's left and, and, and look where they are. So um, it, it's a problem for all the Italian teams now, financially competing with English clubs and with Paris Saint-Germain. It's a problem for Real Madrid and Barcelona as well. Um, you know, that, that top group of English clubs and, and PSG are, are, are streets ahead um, of, of the other, everyone else in Europe. And, and Juventus have got additional domestic problems because... You know, Roma and Inter um, and, and Lazio have all started well. And um, it's, a, it's a difficult season for them. And um, they're, they're fortunate in this group that they're, um, yeah, they've got a, a reasonable draw and you would expect them to come through the group stages. But I don't think you can really consider them to be part of uh, yeah, the, the, the group of favourites to win, to win the Champions League. Roma certainly have started the season terrifically under Jose. Great win on Sunday night and Jose sprinting down the touchline. In terms of Manchester City, Gavin, obviously beaten in the final back in May by Chelsea, starting at home against Leipzig on Wednesday, PSG and Bruges also in the group. Obviously, for some time, that's been a target for Manchester United. They've won the Premier League now so many times and the goal remains for Pep Guardiola to get City over the line when it comes to Europe. How do you see them progressing in the competition this time around? Yeah, I mean, I think this it, it, it's they, they would like to have had Harry Kane, but they didn't do too badly without him last season, did they? Although, obviously, Sergio Aguero is, is no longer no longer there, but they have so many attacking options in, in midfield. Jack Grealish gives them that extra um, uh, option up there. And, and aside from opening day defeats at Tottenham, they've, um, you know, they've hit five past... Um, you know, the, the, a couple of teams and, and one again at the weekend. So um, I think the worry with, with Manchester City is that Guardiola overthinks things um, and, and has to sort of out, outthink the opposition. Um, they, they've got the players on paper to, to, to be comfortable winners over Leipzig in the, in the first group game. And Leipzig are, are struggling, having lost um, their coach and, and quite a few players to, to Bayern Munich. And they lost to Bayern Munich at the weekend. So you would think City will get off to a decent start. Um, and, and there's always the option, I guess, of bringing in extra firepower in, in, in the January window. They've certainly got the financial um, financial means to do that now. And I think what we've seen over the summer, the transfer window, is that the big clubs, Man City and PSG, uh, are no longer bothered about financial fair play or any regulation. They're going to spend what it takes to win the title. Um, and, and they and City will, will possibly do that in January. PSG have already done it in the summer. And... and um, uh, the, the, the City will be out there as strong contenders with PSG. 
Yeah, PSG obviously with Messi and again in terrific form, scoring a hat-trick against Bolivia. Uh, no stopping him, but obviously they'll be looking PSG to Messi to to perhaps deliver the European trophy. Uh, what about Liverpool in your in your view? In it's a sticky enough group, isn't it? AC Milan, Atletico Madrid, and Porto. Yeah, uh, a, a difficult one. Um, I mean, Liverpool, they, they look like they've got their mojo back, you know, with Van Dijk back in defence. I think the worry for the Champions League is that they are a little bit light in attack. Um, Harvey Elliott had suffered that horrible injury. Hopefully he's not as, as bad as it looked. But um, it, it's, a, it's a reminder that they, they were a little bit unlucky with injuries last season compared to the title-winning season. They're going to lose players in January to the African Nations Cup. Yuma Mane and, and Salah. So um, it, it, you wonder if they will be able to come up right again with the transfer policy. But they, they look good against um, against Leeds. The, tra- the chances they created, although Mane couldn't finish them off, um, or, or apart from one one chance, um, they, they, they're capable of, of, of going a long way in the competition. The draw is a, a decent draw, I think. Um, I think they will come through. Um, they, they've got that, that strength to do that. Um, but whether they've got the squad depth to compete on both fronts in the spring is, a, is another matter. James, you've been casting your eye over the various groups. What stands out for you? Group G is actually a very interesting group because there's nobody in it that you would definitely say they're going to come out on top and they're going to finish second. Like You've got Sevilla, Salzburg, Lille and Wolfsburg in that group. Like, And there's, there's none of those teams where you definitely go... Well, there's your number one and two out of that. So that's going to be, I think that's going to be quite interesting. And then the other one, which which kicks off on Wednesday, is Group D, with Sheriff Shakhtar, Donetsk, Inter and Real Madrid. And there could be there could be a case here where the likes of Inter or Real Madrid, more likely Inter, might lose out to Shakhtar, I think. I think that's a possibility. I mean, I think Sheriff are a fascinating team from Moldova. You know, the, poor, the poorest country in Europe, but a team that's actually been heavily funded um, they spent an awful lot of money on the stadium and, and surprised people in the qualifiers. So they, they might they might do that again. Um, but I think Inter are strong despite losing Lukaku and and, uh, and Real Madrid. I think will be contenders. There's still some very strong players in that in that squad. Uh, I think a very interesting group is, is Barcelona's group with Bayern Munich because Barcelona are, are not just without Messi are a shadow of the team they were a few years ago. And I think Benfica could challenge them for that second spot in, in the group. So to have, not have Barcelona in the knockout stages would be quite significant. But I think uh, it, it's, it's a very poor Barcelona team now, not just because of Messi leaving. And, um, and I think Benfica are a team to, to look out for in that group. And Graham, as a footballing coach, I'm sure you, you take in as much and absorb as much football as you can. Do you enjoy watching the Champions League? Yeah, I do watch it. I do. I do enjoy a good Champions League night. You can't beat it, and especially when it gets to the knockout stages, it just becomes, um, it just goes up a whole different level. And that's where I think, like you said, the likes of Chelsea, Liverpool, who are really good in one-off games, they always have a chance of winning tournaments. Like so, Man City showed a consistency last year, but they haven't showed a consistency in in the Champions League because in one-off games they can, they can always come a cropper. Gavin, it's probably unfair to at this point football. The Champions League hasn't even started uh, in terms of winners. But have you got a hunch about who could be worth watching this year? In other words, if I if I had a stray fiver, where should I put it? I, I think you have to follow the money, and, and the teams that are spending the money are the teams that are going to be there in the, in the knockout stages. 
Um, I, 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 everyone's focusing on PSG and, and Man City as, as these, you know, these teams with huge resources. I do like the look of Bayern Munich under Nagelsmann, a new coach um, with a very strong squad. They've, they've started the season strongly in Germany. They've got a strong starting eleven, but lots of options on the bench, which I think is important going through the season. And um, I, I do like the look of Bayern Munich, but I think Man City and PSG, you can't ignore their resources. And, and, and they will be there, I think, in, in, in the final stages of the knockout, knockout stages. All right, listen, we leave it there. It's uh, going to be very exciting, no doubt about it. Champions League football starting this week on RT2 television with young boys at Burn against Manchester United. Many thanks to Gavin Hamilton for joining us on the line. I mentioned at the start of the podcast a lot of discussion in recent times about the standard of officiating in the League of Ireland, the SSC Artricity League. We had Tim Clancy with his outburst last week after the Drogheda Sligo Rovers game. Mark Burcham before and again at the weekend, this time over a decision, well, a couple of decisions that didn't go in his side's favour against Shamrock Rovers at Tallis Stadium. Graham, before we perhaps discuss the, the nuts and bolts maybe of what Mark Burcham had to say, your view on the standard of match officiating in the League of Ireland... Is it, where is it at in terms of levels? From the games I've watched, and, the, and, and I've watched a lot of games in the last three months, uh, especially, I, I think the standard of refereeing is really poor. I, I think it comes down to an inconsistency, you know, from one week to the next. I think it comes down to the refs become so well-known to the players as well, and, and vice versa, that it, 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 they can also they can hold things against players when they're making decisions as well. I was at the game on Friday and I, 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 I thought the decision to, that Mark Bortram's talking about that leads to the goal, I, I, I was flabbergasted by it and I said it, even though I was working for Rovers TV at the time, I said I don't think that's a handball and I don't think that's um, a yellow card. Now, okay, for just for the benefit, sorry, sorry to cut across you, Graham, but yeah. just for the benefit of those that didn't see it, can you just explain perhaps what happened and what his uh, Mark's issue was? So the the ball comes out to the edge of the box from a corner. They defend the corner and it comes out to Oidemo Maku on the edge of the box. He takes a touch, and he sets himself to shoot. The Watford player slides to block it, and he and the ball hits his right arm as he slides. Now, he's probably. The ball obviously is leaving the ground, so he, it's it's not like he's he's probably waist high, lower. I'd say he's lower. I'd say he's about knee height, and the ball hits his hand. Now the ref makes a gesture in the game that he's put his hand above his head, but that's not accurate. Like he hasn't put his hand above his head. Now if you're saying his arm is out of control, fair enough. But he hasn't. That it might be that well you made yourself bigger by doing that, but his arm's in a natural position for somebody who's taken up a sliding. A decision to slide to block a ball as a as a coach or as a fellow defender you, you want your players to throw themselves in front of a ball when it's going to be shot mm. from from 20 yards out so in that sense the only way i can see it is that you're not in control of your arm it's hard to be in control of your arm when you're when you're <laughs> sliding with that ferocity to try and block a shot they then they then score the free the, the free kick they're saying that Gaffney might have ran across the goalkeeper. Now, that one I'd be a little bit more sceptical of. I think it's on the goalkeeper's side. And I think Brian's obviously saying, well, it's my side, I got done, but I might be distracted by, by Gaffney. I, I don't agree with that one. I just don't think it was a foul. I said on the night that I don't think Watford deserved anything out of the game, neither, but they'd be aggrieved with the decision. And that's where I just think there's a lack of consistency. I don't know the rule. I don't know. He can't put his hand above his head and say that's where his hand was because it wasn't, and that's what he done when we were watching the game. 
but does it just an inconsistency does it we hear different stories about how refs speak to people and, and there's some funny ones and there's some like I've heard lad referees referee reserves games and lads that have a goal them saying you're having a terrible game and he says I'm not the one playing in the reserves and there'd be funny moments like but there's, there's certain things that I feel if players are having a go or a referee for decisions either the referee buckles and gives them or he'll hold it against them and give it against them I think they need to separate that from it and just be call it on what they see as free kicks I think Halford got booked in the first half he kicked the ball he, the ball was going out of play and then he ended up kicking it further away and then he brought on a second ball and the referee books him. Second half, I think Gaffney done the same. He doesn't say anything to him. And Waterford then, it just the frustration builds in Waterford because you think you're, you're, not, you're against us here. It's not that you're, you're not just not being fair. It feels like they're against them. And I think that happens to different teams throughout the year at different stages. So I just think they lack consistency, but they also need to separate themselves from when they're making decisions to go. That's the decision whether... The players had a go at me or not. It's a free kick, you know. So I think they just lack a little bit of um, sort of, how would you say it, separation from it. I think they get too emotionally involved in the game and I think they just need to take a step back and just make decisions. And how would your experience here compare with your experience from your time in Scotland with referees? Like, so the first time, the, we, the referees met us in Scotland. They came out to the... They came out and met the whole team and they done a video presentation and showed us basically these are what we consider free kicks, these are what we consider yellow cards, these are what we consider red cards. So if these happen in a game, you can't complain. So stopping a promising attack, whether that's being pulled back or, 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 or trips, if you're purposely doing it to stop a counter-attack, it's, it's, a, it's a yellow card. You know, then they explain a red card. Yeah, he's won the ball, but he's reckless, he's out of control, red card. Speed. We we had a discussion around speed of, of a tackle. You know, is does it become uh, endangering the player? But they came and spoke to you. So, if I was getting booked in a month's time by that referee that done the presentation, he says, "Graham, I showed you this it's yellow card." I can't argue. I can't argue with him. I can't go. Come on, will you? We had a meeting. You like do us a favour. Like you can't because. Yeah. So th- there was a, a relationship. Was they came and met all the the, the players. And explain to them what, what was going to influence their decisions. And basically, this is it. Not you shouting at us. Not you giving out. Not you putting pressure on us. This is what the decisions are. And this is what's been laid down to us. And I don't think that happens. From what I'm aware, I don't. it never happened when I played in the league. And, it, and I don't think it happens now. I've had referees. I, I, I was captain. Taking a team out. And the ref came. I, I spoke to the ref before the game. In the tunnel, I said, how's it going? All right friendly chat and I said if, if you need if you need a hand rant let us know he booked me in the first five minutes of the game and says don't don't ever offer to help me to do my job I was captain on the night and you yeah you're making the offer in terms of my team if there's anything that you feel that maybe one or two yeah. of them are getting lippy you're saying Correct. come to me and yeah. I'll sort it out yeah or tell me Graham that's his last one or you know what I mean tell him to relax he's, he's, he's one foul away from the yellow card etc you know or like we, you look at all the documentaries that they do and, and you watch them all and like on Amazon Prime, you watch Inside Anfield or all these little things that people put videos out. The referees, the, the captain and the manager go into the referees room before the game and have a chat to the referees. I don't think we do that here. So they're not able to be in control of it because they, they're not open to talk to players or explain 
a video before the season begins. These are going to be free kicks. These are going to be penalties, etc., etc. So a referee can go over to a manager and say, I gave that because of that. That's why. I showed you that before the season started. You know? And that's where I just don't think there's... That's how I think you can improve it. So there's no point in us just coming on and giving out about it. I think how we improve it is the referees go and meet all these teams and explain this is what we're going to see as red, red or yellow cards. This is the consistency that we'll demand off our referees. They're going to get it wrong. They're human. But this is what we're looking for. Yeah. One, one would have presumed, Graham. I don't know, James. One would have presumed that referees perhaps would have been in communication with clubs and managers and captains and spoken about what way they're going to referee matches during the course of a season. But clearly that conversation, given what Graham is saying, doesn't happen. Yeah, it seems to be a thing. I remember a couple of years ago where the referees' assessors were talking about bringing in the clubs beforehand and chatting away to the clubs about this kind of thing, what Graham's saying. But I don't think it's actually happened since. Like, I think they, it was a good idea that they put out. But And again, that's the referees' assessors telling you. And we don't know how the referees' assessors are looking at the game. We don't know what they're doing in the game to see because we rarely ever see a referee be benched here. We see it in the UK a lot of times. But I think it's more a case of that the pool of referees here is too small to bench them. And if they start benching referees or putting referees down to the first division, or as, as they would in the UK, to put them two or three divisions down and put them there for a couple of weeks, there just seems to be no... There seems to be no outcome for the referee. There's a definite outcome for a, a player. A player could be sent off. Um, a player could be banned for a couple of games even 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 the Tim Clancy case where a, a manager isn't allowed to speak his mind without getting an extra banning for it with nobody coming out and going well here's where he was wrong or this is what he did wrong or this is why this happened nobody's explaining that all we're getting is a press release saying you're now banned for another three games and that doesn't help number one the referee on the pitch or number two the clubs because now the referee on the pitch is going to get abuse no matter what happens and the clubs don't know what they're going to do or how do we go about this. What happens if our, like after a match is probably the wrong time, especially in a situation where Tim's been sent off like that, it's probably the wrong time to even ask Tim a question about it because you know what you're going to get and you get that from the vast majority of managers. I just feel the inconsistency. I've watched this free kick over and over again. I can see where Mark Bertram is talking about Rory Gaffney running across Brian Murphy's eye line. But even when you look at it, there's no VAR, so we can't look at that. The linesman as a man has to take the decision. If you ask me, the referee's in the wrong position to see Rory Gaffney because he's standing in front of the wall. He can't see anything bar a blue wall. So even the position of the referee in that situation wouldn't have helped Mark Bertram or Wartford at all. Now, I don't feel Rory really puts him out because Brian actually still goes the same direction at the same time he was going to. So it was just a well-struck free kick. But this is the small things we're seeing. You've seen this one. You've seen the red card at Longford. You've seen... Um, penos on, at Sligo on Friday night one peno given that maybe wasn't a peno and one peno not given that was definitely a peno you've got sevens off at Derry for a little bit of a shamozzle between the players at the death one red card maybe yeah I think McGinty's red card he's in a bright yellow jersey and therefore gets picked out and that's the only reason he gets sent off so there's loads of inconsistencies and nobody's willing to come out and say yeah. this is what we're doing this is how it happened. If you don't do this, you get that. If you do that, you don't get that. 
I think that's where the issue lies now. And it's been rumbling on for, I would suggest, as Graham mentioned, when he was in playing in the league, there wasn't that communication between both sets. And this, that's where the communication lies. You can have a, communication between the FEI and the clubs. That's grand. But the four officials to go out on the pitch are the ones that need more communication with the clubs than anybody else, in, in my opinion. And that's not happening. See, from, from a player's perspective as well, Adrian, and, and, and this is the bit that... We're, we're in a league where it's, it's semi-part-time as well. Some of these players might be on a, on a, on a page of play or, or some of their, their wages is made up of appearance money. So if you're, if you're sent off for something that's not a sending off offence, you're suspended. So what happens is then you, you're, you're going to miss an appearance fee the following game. That's fair enough, right? They might have part-time jobs or whatever, but you're still missing something. You then mightn't get back into the team. So it has a knock-on effect in that way. Again, from my own experience, and I don't want to talk for other people, I, 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 don't, I don't understand the dynamics of the league at the minute. Some teams are part-time, some teams I think some wages are high, some wages are low. I, I, was, I was playing at uh, Shamrock Rovers and I got sent off against Sligo. I got back into the team. I think I played three or four games on a good run. Got sent off. Got suspended. I couldn't get back into the team. And, I'm, and the referee says to me, yeah, it was a bit harsh, wasn't it? Like, I met him about two weeks later. He goes, yeah, Graham, I looked it back. A bit harsh. I'm not a bit harsh. He says, I haven't got back into the team yet. And that's the impact it's had on your life. That's then the impact I had. Like that, yeah, exactly. At that, at that immediate time. So, again, like James says, what impact does it have on them? Like... They still they get the following game, da da da. da. The players don't. And yes, the players. Uh, yeah, uh, and yes, you know, I I always tend to think that referees don't go out to do a team. Is that fair? I mean, they go out with the the honest intention of refereeing the game as as best they can to call it as they see it, and to try and not favour either side. Now, fans, <laughs> fans of teams will will dispute that and say, oh well, such and such a ref, he always goes against us or whatever. Do you think that, that referees go out with uh, maybe a, a built-in bias or is it just that they get swayed on the day by maybe the, the players getting in their ears or the fans of the home team or whatever? Um, I, yeah, I'd agree with that statement. I, I would never say that a ref has come pre-game uh, thinking that I'm going to go against a certain team. I've, I've, nev- I've never experienced that. I, I don't feel that's the case. I think it's a case that one team would start moaning a little bit much or, or getting on at them or they'd be experienced or get into this ref. And, and, and it happened a lot and it happens a lot in Air League particularly because there's such a familiarity with the referees and the players and stuff and, and they, they call them by their name da, 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 and they're on to them and they know, oh, well, I'll have a little thing of him or have a little conversation with him and they can sway decisions. But I can also, in my case, and maybe I should have copped onto this earlier, they, they end up starting giving decisions against you just to start to say, shut up now. Like, you know, and I'm going, but whether I have a go at you or not, if that's not a free kick, it's not a free kick. Where if, if a player has a go at you and then he, you give him a free kick in his favour, that's wrong as well. Like, so that's what you're talking about. I, I do think they get swayed as the game goes on. I think that, like you said, when, and I made this comment as well, when the crowd aren't in, the referees might be a, a bit more, you know, impartial. But I think as the crowds come back as well and the players grow up and the teams that are more experienced tend to get more more decisions. And yes, it is, James, unquestionably a very difficult job. There is a shortage of referees in general, not just at League of Ireland level, but, but across the board. 
And if referees are getting abused by managers or by players, and I use the word abused in its broadest sense, but if they're being criticised, let's just say, it's not going to encourage a young man who's out there saying, you know what, I wouldn't mind being a referee if they see the flack that referees get. I'm just putting that case forward. How, how would yeah. you respond? Yeah, that, that, that could probably be a case. But at the end of the day, like as, as you mentioned, I, I don't think any referee goes out and says, right, I'm a Shamrock Rovers or I'm a Derry or I'm a Pats. I hate them. Oh, Jesus. I think like, I think the referees in Ireland are equally poor for both sides. There's absolutely no question. And it's difficult because I, I think a bit like the footballers, because of such a big gap between playing and refereeing matches between November and March or February, I think they fall out of the eye, they fall out of the fitness of the game, they fall out of the movement of the game. And then when teams get back, movement has changed with teams, teams are bringing it up a level, the intensity's gone up a level, but unfortunately the referee isn't part of that because he's not seeing their pre-seasons and stuff like that. So that's 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 where it goes as well. As as part of a someone wanting to get into it, I, I think if you want to be a referee, you're looking at this now and you're seeing the mistakes they're making. And then you're going, do you know what I can if I was there I could do this or I could do that or I could better this game. Now, who wants to be a referee? I, I think it's time, and the PFI did do it a couple of years ago, I think it's time for former players to start being trained in as referees. Um, if, if they're willing to do it, to come up that route as well, to have some former players either on the referee panel or on an advisory panel to the referees. I think that might be somewhere where we can get them back in. And I, I, I think, in fairness to them, this is a part-time job for them. They have their real jobs, like they have to go back and some are teachers, some of them are guards, and they go back and do that Monday to Friday. They, they turn up for a match on a Friday. But that off-season, that off season, I think not only is it too long for the, the players, but if you look at the first month and a half of every league season, there's so many different mistakes that happen. So I think it's too long for the refs as well. OK, we'll leave that I there. We'll move on. Help, you should help train them better as well, though, Adrian. Like you, okay. like I watched the Jamie Carragher thing with Gary Neville. And they were saying that they're getting the majority of decisions right in the Premiership. Like, where 5% will, will sneak through or maybe less than that. But, like, what are they doing here to help them to go, like, let's sit down and analyse the season as a whole and what, what we got right or what was the big issues and let's fix it. You have analytics as such a big thing in sport now. You're hoping that these refs do this and go, well... Let's help them. Let's help them on the pitch to make the decisions and justify the decisions to go. Like you said, meeting teams beforehand, meeting managers, explaining to them, explaining etiquette that won't be stood for in the technical area, explaining etiquette, explaining things like this. Because mm. so many players, so, you can give yellow cards in technical areas as well. It's like we go straight to red cards, you know? That's the right. bit that, again... You can move on, Adrian. You yeah. got me right. Yeah, let's you. move on. Here, here's one for you, Graham Gartland. Did you ever line up or face or defend against Andy Myler? I did. Played against him many a time. Semi-final of the cup, we knocked him out. I think Longford, Longford <laughs> dropped it. You remember did that he get, when he comes did on. Did he get the better of you on many occasion? Because he's on the line <laughs> now, Andy Myler, the UCD manager. He probably did. Yeah, he, yeah a few <laughs> times. Yeah. Did you, Andy? Uh, listen. <laughs> did, Shock that Graham remembered that particular game, and <laughs> <laughs> I listen. I, I I couldn't I couldn't claim to have got the better of Graham uh, Graham Gartland. Usually it was him over me. 
Is that right? Uh, you're, perhaps you're being modest. So we, shall, you, we, we leave it at that. Over 100 goals, of course, in the league. Andy Myler, manager of UCD. Big cup game, of course, at the weekend against Mark Bircham's uh, Watford. How, how are you enjoying management? I know it's not your first year, obviously, as manager of UCD, but uh, are, you, are you relishing it? Are you loving it? Yeah, listen, uh, I suppose management and coaching is, is always the, ne- is the next best thing to play in. So um, I've really enjoyed my time so far at UCD. Uh, great club, great... Uh, and um, bunch of players so yeah you know fantastic so far yeah and up to second in the table I mean obviously a very good week win at the weekend hitting a lot of goals but in second position you're in the playoff position obviously Shell's 10 points clear so it's hard to see them being caught but uh, you're looking good for a place in the playoffs still a long way to go mind you yeah you, 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 you never you, you never feel safe until you actually are um, we, we, we shipped five goals the last two weeks which isn't ideal um, in games that we shouldn't really have and um, I suppose we did bad. We had a bad then couple of weeks in the middle of the season, and uh, that's I suppose we'd be we'd be closer if it wasn't for that. Um, but overall, happy where we're going, happy where the squad's going, and uh, uh, we'll see where it takes us at the end. You're mentioning the concession of goals, but you've got a, f- a fair amount of goals. I, I was just checking this morning; something like eight times this season, UCD have scored three goals or more in a game. And you, you know, the team has scored six goals in two different matches, five at the weekend. So there's lots of goals in the team, be it Colin Whelan, be it Liam Carrigan. Yeah, we, we, we've, we've, we've a threat uh, in that in that last third for sure. Something we work on uh, with the boys as well. Um, so it, it's a strong part of our side, strong part of our squad. Um, so it, it's something we try to maximise. Um, so the, the, listen, the, the boys have been absolutely fantastic. They applied themselves really well. Um, Take the messages on board that we're trying to we're trying to convey to them. So, um, yeah, we've a threat, and we need to need to make the most of that for the rest of the season. Yeah, how good is Colin Whelan? Obviously, he scored on his debut. Came off the bench against Luxembourg and scored for the under twenty ones last week. He's got seventeen goals in the first division. Is he a player that you're excited about? I think he's a player that everybody's excited about. Um, you know, he scored for the twenty ones last year. I think that listen, one of the most disappointing elements for us at the moment. Is how other clubs are going about trying to talk to Collie, um, not going through the correct channels, um, managers contacting directly. That's a really uh, poor part of what's happening, and and clubs that would consider themselves big clubs. It seems to us at the moment that Shamrock Rovers are the only club that actually go through the proper channels. So um, that's a, that's a tricky part. But on on, on Collie, um, we always say that Collie would play every week in our team if he never scored a goal. He's, he's, his work rate is that good, such a team player, such a good kid, um, fantastic attitude, but he comes with goals as well. Um, and anybody who scores that amount of goals will get a lot of notice. Have you seen much of him, Graham? I've seen bits of him, obviously, yeah, but I know the way Andy's talking about him there. Obviously, I'm doing the games on Friday night, so I don't get to see many other games of football, but I know the lads rate him highly as well. And, and I know he done well when he came on for Ireland, so he looks like he has he has a bright future ahead of him. What's the deal with Mandy? Is is he out of contract at the end of the year then, and has it just become a compensation thing for yourselves, or is he, no, he is he on a longer term deal? He's a couple more, yeah, he's on a longer deal, um, Graham. Uh, that's a, that's so, that's good for you, though. That's really important. Yeah, he he's a guy who's listen himself. His parents they realise the value of the education that he's going to finish off. With us, yeah. um, so he's 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 set in until then, if you know what I mean. Um, so yeah. yeah, we're a really good kid.
No, and, and that's, it just shows the importance of playing at a young age as well. That's the yeah. biggest thing. Playing at games at a young age that you can get that experience of being able to handle different strike or different centre-backs. Playing yeah. against, this, playing against the, the same centre-back probably two months later and realising, well, if I do this against them, it'll cause them more trouble. Just But learning that yourself, learning as you go instead of just walking them through everything. and It just shows the importance of playing at such a young age. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I think for uh, like it, there isn't a magic formula you see there, other than no. what you've just said there, Grant. It's like you get to play games, and yeah. from a development perspective, you want to be a good player. Like you say, if if, you, if you've got the twenty and you've got a hundred games under your belt, then you know yeah. it's, it's massively important. Yeah. Do you know there's, there's a stat? Sorry, Adrian, there's a stat that goes around that most of the teams that win the Champions League have players playing in that team that have played. Before the age of twenty, yeah, yeah. So it mightn't be, yeah, it mightn't be that the so the Liverpool side that won it or the or Chelsea that won it last year, they would have all made their debuts for whatever club they were at before the age of twenty, mm. and that yes. shows you. So when the analytics of teams looking into who they're going to purchase, that's one of the things that stand out for them. Yeah, yeah I'm not too sure if that was a an approach there from uh, Shamrock Rovers there by Graham finding out what <laughs> no, kind of no, contract no, no. he was on. <laughs> no, but, uh, no, it was genuinely. <laughs> we all know you can use multiple approaches from Shamrock Rovers. So. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, his assists on are just as big it, as his goal scoring, as you mentioned. Like his assists are uh, amazing. Yeah, I mean, if you got, listen, if you, if you watch him, like I said, his work rate, he's such a handful to play against, yeah. um, and so. Well, his work rate is like sometimes you know having a brilliant game, he's just at it and at it and at it, um, right through the ninety minutes. So there's something usually breaks his way uh, because of his work rate. What other fellas would say, not my day, um, you know, next time. But uh, he's just he's just a different animal. Bit of Tony Grant about Mister. Exactly, exactly. Like you, you, you're not one of those centre forwards, Graham. That just not not like me, but would just keep <laughs> going and going and going and. Um, like just a constant, a constant hassle for you. Yeah, um, that's what he is. Yeah, and just just a word, Andy, on the, the, the footballing style because over the years, going all the way back to the late Dr. Tony O'Neill, there was a, a definitive or a definite way of playing that UCD approach. It was all about passing and moving, and 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 that's continued down through the years. When you took over the job as manager of UCD, as as coach of UCD, was that important? to you that you maintained the standards that previous teams that lined out for UCD, the, the, the approach that they took to playing football, that you continue I, that? I think it's one of the principles that the, the club is built on, you know. Um, one of them is giving young players a chance, but the other one is playing the right way. Um, and, and I think we all believe in that. I think it would be a difficult place for you, UCD if you just wanted to lump the ball up the pitch. Um, so, like, younger players want to play that way. They're comfortable playing that way. So it, it, from our coaching point, of, it, you know, we just we just carry that on. So uh, it's a, like I say, it's very important to us and something that we will continue to work on. Yeah, and Watford at home in the cup on Friday night, chance to make the semi-finals. How do you see that one? Yeah, it's, 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 you know, for the fourth division side, uh, quarter-final feel, feels like a free shot. Um, you know, we, we're at home, which is a good thing. Um, Waterford are in a bit of form and fairness you know they they, they they look like they're going to pull themselves out of trouble so so we know it'll be difficult they'll have the edge Premier Division team um, all, all of that, all that stuff but you know we're in a bit of form as well 
uh, we're at home cup quarter final we'll give it a right lash Okay, best of luck with the with the shot in the cup. That's Andy Myler, the manager of UCD. We mentioned there Graham, uh, young Colum Whelan, and obviously playing a starring role last week, coming off the bench for the under twenty ones. But Kevin Zeffi, on his Inter Milan under seventeen debut, a couple of goals, a few assists as well. You've obviously worked with him. A lot of people in Ireland won't be too familiar with him. How good is he? Yeah, he's very good. Yeah, he has he has a magnificent chance to to be to be a really really top player. Like, um, he just has this ability of being able to turn and get swivelled. Um, so one of the things, if you as your coach and defenders, you'd say, don't let them turn, keep them going back to where they came from, etc., etc. Or you know, go and have a little. But he just has a way of turning and facing you up. And once he turns and faces you up, he's, he just wants to play forward and run forward or else just put you on the back foot. And once you go on the back foot room, similar to what that, what Paddy McCourt had, that ability of as soon as he put you on the back foot, he drove straight at it and you were, you were, he put you off balance. But he always has the ball on his back foot. But he's, he, he's working harder and working off his left foot because he even had a conversation with me about it. Um, what would you do? He, he cheekily asked me, how would you stop me? And I was like, um, <laughs> I'd have two ways, I said. Uh, one of them I'm not allowed to do anymore. I says, but uh, I says, I just try and keep you, if you're off, the, I just try and keep you onto your left foot. Like, And he says, well, what if I get better than my left foot? I says, then I can't stop you. So, but like, yeah, a really, a really, really wonderful talent. Like he, he's a mixture of a few players, like you said, the Paddy McCord. He has a little bit of Wes Houlihan's about him as well. But um, he, he, he models the game off Eden Hazard, which he said in an interview, and and you can see he has that. And do you know what he has? Which is you sometimes knock it out of kids. He he has a belief in himself that I I, I love actually. He makes me laugh about it, and I sometimes think rein it in. But he has such belief in himself that. I actually laugh when he when he says things, but he's I'm delighted for him on his debut, and it's somebody that like the likes of Shane Robinson who who had brought him into the club with Anthony Brennan at the time. They worked really hard to get him. They've done a great job in coaching him, uh, Aiden Price as well, and 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 Jason Shields. So they've they've been a lot of people that have helped him because he probably wouldn't have had the best work ethic when he came. And then they worked on that and got that into his game. And, and it wasn't just working without the ball, it was working harder to get on the ball because they knew how dangerous he was going to be. Yeah, and one player who's grabbed the headlines of all the national papers and the media in general over the last week, Gavin Bazunu, starring role, of course, for the Republic of Ireland. You obviously worked with him. He really looks the, de- the real deal, doesn't he? Yeah, wonderful player and more like I said, a wonderful person. He's he's a he's a he's a fantastic goalkeeper. Really, really down to earth. He's a great kid. Um, his mother Cara, his younger brother is in my group, Todd, um, and his father Green. So, uh, great family. But it just shows you the importance. And and that was why when James was asking, why was I asking? I was asking because you want to see kids protected. Like so, Gavin signed a professional contract with us, and got, and that means that. The deal favours the club that have done all the the, the work with him. It favours the team that have put the finances into into Gavin early doors. His education with Ashfield College. Uh, Shane Robinson made sure he was well looked after. He was only in a major team and under 13. He fought to get him into the Kennedy Cup squad, into the Ireland squads. Nobody wanted to touch him at 14, 15. Not touch him, but nobody was. They were unsure at 14 and 15. But then, like you said, like I said before. 
you know, the importance of getting them on the pro contracts. One of the stipulations is we get a fee for his appearances for Ireland. Now, one of them appearance fees is similar to what we got in compensation for Zeffi. So it just shows the importance of signing players on the pro contract so that the club and the player is protected. Like, so that the Gavin Absolutely. goes and gets a, re a really fantastic contract out of Man City. Totally deserved when you see what he goes on to. But it, it's important we protect our young players at all our clubs. And that's why I'm delighted when, when Andy said, no, Collins protected. I was like, well, good. Because you have done all the work to develop them. It's not up for someone else to just come in and take them for nothing. Okay. Checking the results from the weekend. Derry City 2, Finn Harps 2. Drawed at 3-2 winners over Bohemians. Drawed or 3-0 up at half time. Shamrock Rovers 2, Waterford 0. Danny Mandrew with both goals. Sligo Rovers 2, St. Pat's 0. Johnny Kenny penalty. And Ryan DeVries. Longford Town 1, Dundalk 0. Aaron O'Driscoll. The score for Longford. Uh, subsequently sent off. Longford finishing the game with 9 players. Rob Manley red carded um, with about six minutes to go. Dundalk had hands sent off in injury time. That's a first win for Longford since the opening night win over Derry back in March. One point from their last five for Dundalk. Vinnie Perth spoke about the club being in a dark place, injury issues, but they do have two games in hand on Waterford who are just above them in the table. In the first division, Bray Wanderers nil, Athlone Town 1, Scott Delaney. Two goals from Ryan Brennan, giving Shells a 2-0 win at Turner's Cross over Cork City. UCD 5, Cabin Teeley 2, a hat-trick there for Liam Kerrigan. Wexford 3, Cove Ramblers 1. And in the Women's National League, Bohemians 2, Cork City 0, Erica Burke from the penalty spot, Lisa Murphy, Treaty United 0, Wexford Youths 4, Taylor Murphy roster and a Clancy penalty for Wexford Youths, DLR Waves 2, Galway 0. And in the big game of the weekend, a very significant and convincing win for Piemont United over Shelburne 5 0. Alana McAvoy, Stephanie Roach, Lucy McCartan, Lauren Kelly and Anya O'Gorman. Very shortly we'll hear from the Shelburne assistant manager Joey Malone. But first, it's the thoughts of Anya O'Gorman. Delighted with the performance today. I think it's been a long time coming. Don't think we've been particularly good this season, but that's probably the best we've played all season and, and we reaped the rewards of it. But look, we still have a long way to go in the season to, to lift the trophy. It's a good time to start rocking up a few goals as well, isn't it? Ah, oh, yeah, look, I suppose they, they, they all count and it was, it was good performance and just happy for the team and, and all the girls and, and our hard work is paying off. And, you know, you know, it's not just the three points really, is it, here now? You go back on top, you have a game in hand, you've boosted score difference, a clean sheet. It's almost like the perfect day, really. Yeah, it's an amazing day, isn't it? Um, yeah, just delighted. It's, it kind of feels too good to be true at the moment, to be honest, but we need to remember we've six games left in this league and we have the semi-final in the Cup against Wexford coming up too. It feels like a statement. There's a huge, you can not tell celebrations, but there's a few huge, I suppose, sense of satisfaction is probably the way to describe it. Yeah, I think so. I think um, we obviously, we went down to Wexford, we came away one all. We weren't really satisfied with our performance. We did a lot of self-analysis on that, and I think we learned a lot from that as well. And I'm um, just happy that all the girls took it on board, and we all worked really, really hard for each other, and there's a few really nice goals out there tonight too. Just keeping it going now to the end of the season? Yeah, that's it. Six games to go, and the cliche says one game at a time. Joey, um... I suppose it, there's no way of describing it as a disappointing day at the office. Yeah, really disappointing. Uh, we, we came here thinking that we were certainly the be better team. Every time we played and we, we felt we were the better team. Um, I'm, I'm really positive today. Uh, first 20 minutes, we were. I thought we were dominating the game for the first 20 minutes. Um, we did We did know that, that Piment would play that kind of longish ball game and we just needed to get it down and play. And It was working for the first 20 minutes, as I say, and then... Goal similar to the first time we played him out here, across from the right and didn't press the ball. It was poor defending on our part, and uh, um, it got them up and running. 
and then we, we, we I felt that we, we started taking control of the game again and, and then unfortunately a long kick from, from Stephanie and I, I, we probably should have you know from the goalkeeper and from the, and the outfield player should be pressing the ball better as well but really really disappointing day for us yeah, it was a weird one in half time. Even though I felt Piemont had the the advantage in the score sheet, I thought you were the better team, particularly up to the first goal. Yeah, no, without a shadow of a doubt, and and we knew this the way it was going to be. If we got the ball down and played and passed and had intensity in our game, that we we, we would we would score. We would score a couple of goals here today, and uh, it it looked like it was working well. And as I said, like the the, the goal, I think it was the first shot they had on target. And it, it, it ends up in a goal, and I, and I think Piedmont have been quite clinical all the time. Every team they play, when they get chances, they stick them away. And our problem is that we, we create a lot of chances, but we don't stick them away, and and we need to improve on that. I suppose you have lost a couple of attacking players from your squad as well. Probably nights like this, they would have been nice to have the players out yeah, there. Yeah, I mean Emily, Emily Whelan's a big loss. I mean she 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 went to Birmingham, and, and then uh, Jamie Finn as well, our centre midfield player. We had a great combination with her and, and Kira Grant, and. Um, it was it was a tough time to lose two really like international players, and it's hard to replace them. Uh, but on saying that, I still think that we've 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 a good squad, and I think we're the, we're the best football playing team in the league. And and today was just one of those days. You, I mean, if you looked at the game for the first 15 or 20 minutes, you would have never thought. I don't think any if you were a betting man, you wouldn't have thought the game would have turned out as it did. You know. That's uh, Joey Malone. So uh, Piment United, a point clear at the top of the Women's National League on, on 47, one clear of Shelburne, albeit Piment United have a game in hand. Wexford Youth back in third on 43 points. Matches this week on Monday night, Harps taking on Bohemians at Finn Park. Then on Tuesday, it's Sligo Rovers against Dundalk. Four cup games, all quarterfinals taking place on Friday night. UCD against Watford. We'll just get very quick snap verdicts from each of UCD against Watford. James... Who'll win? I think UCD will. I think they're very hard to beat in the bowl. Graham? Uh, I'm going to go Warford 1-0. I think they'll just try and just bully UCD. All right, I'll go along with that. <laughs> uh, Pats against Wexford. Home win, James, or a shock? Yes. No, Pats. Oh, oh. Okay, no and Pats for you, Graham? Pats, yeah. Yeah, Pats as well. Uh, Harps against Dundalk. That's a very interesting one, James. Uh, I'm going for an extra time win to Harps. Interesting. Going for a full time win to Harps. Okay, okay. I'm, I'm going to go with you on that, lads. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Formed on Docker in. Uh, you just sit on the fence, Al. Okay. Well, he hasn't well, gone well, first. Yeah. Every everyone he's gone. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'll go, I'll yeah. go with that. Yeah. I'll go along with that. Okay. Well, listen. I'm going to go for Bowles to beat Maynooth University Town. What about you, Graham? <laughs> <laughs> get off the fence. I know. I know. Yeah. I'll get off the fence and say Bowles. Bowles should win. Sure. Let's just Kieran put it that put way. On. Huh? And I take it you'll go for balls as well, James. Uh, unless Kieran plays himself. If he plays himself, I'll go with, I'll go with Manute, but I'd say it'd be oh. a balls win. Okay. And there's one game then in the Premier Division, a rearranged game. Slugger Rovers against Shamrock Rovers on Saturday night at the Showgrounds kickoff at 7.45. Listen, lads, we leave it there. Thanks as ever to James O'Toole for joining us on the RT Soccer Podcast. And good to have you with us once again, Graham Gartland. Until the next time, from all the team, bye-bye.